have a seat for and to be in your house this morning and among your people. Lord, we welcome your Holy Spirit, Lord. We want to feel your presence among us. And Lord, you provide everything for us from our next breath to just everything, Lord. And we are grateful and thankful. Each week we take an opportunity to give back portion of what we provide. Lord, I ask that you would accept these offerings, that you would bless them, and that you would multiply them, and use them to glorify your name and your kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
person next to you. Make sure you tell them their name. Thank you. 
the person on the other side of you or someone that you haven't met before. And if you are joining us online, please stay tuned for Pastor Jack. All right, we're going to continue in the book of Romans. Last week we talked about the doctrine of sin or the doctrine of original sin. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And this week Paul's going to ask some pointed questions right at the beginning of chapter 6. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as I read the first seven verses of this. I'm going to use the version, as I said before, that Moses brought down from Mount Lord the NASB. No, I'm only kidding. You can follow along whatever version you have. I had to put that in there for Andy to get her excited. All right, Romans 6, 1 through 7. Here we go. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase, and I love how the King James says it, God forbid, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, look at it, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our bodies of sin might be done away with, that church, we should no longer be slaves to sin. Amen. Why? For he who has died is freed from sin. Look at slide three. I'm going to ask you some tough questions to draw you into the text here. Church, have, have we come yet 
to this place in our own lives where we weep at our own sin? Have we, have we yet come to the place where we have remorse for our sin? Is there any remorse at all for our sin? Think with me for a moment. How did your sin, how did my own sin, how did it affect other people this week? If we, if we say or we claim that we're, we're born again, are we living out a renewed life? Do we live differently than we used to live before we claim we got saved? Or is there no difference? Look at slide four. So Paul says, and this is like coming up from you know, chapters four and five. It's like, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that God's grace, God's favor and mercy may increase? Now I want you to notice some important words in this text here. You see the word sin, and you see the word grace. The word sin, I want you to notice the, the question Paul's asking here. Should we continue to sin so God's grace can increase? God forbid, no. Now, last Sunday, we learned that by Adam's sin, the human race had become corrupt. And that English word that is used is the word depraved. That word is used to describe sin or corrupt, meaning something that is crooked or something that's just warped out of shape. So the idea here is that all areas of our lives are depraved. They're crooked. They're warped out of shape due to our own lawlessness. Church, no area of my life or your life has escaped the effect of sin. It's interesting how Jesus had spoken of our inner life as that of a, of a storehouse. I want you to think for a moment about what we have placed in that storehouse in our heart. It's from that storehouse deep inside us that every simple warped act or habit and words flow from. Well, where does it say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Luke 6.45, slide 5. <clears throat> slide 5 says this. The good or the honorable man out of the good treasure stored in his heart, he brings forth what is good. But the evil man, out of the evil treasure, or his storehouse in his heart, he brings forth what is evil, depraved or wicked. For his mouth speaks from that which fills or overflows his heart. Your mouth is the tattletale of your heart. The New Living puts it this way, slide 6. A good person produces good things, from the treasury of, of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not practice or live out what I say? Gets right in there, doesn't he? So we have to ask ourselves, is evil stuff constantly coming out of my heart, or is there anything that glorifies God coming out of our heart. What did even David himself even recognize in slide 7 and 8? <clears throat> David says back in Psalm 51, David himself says, I was brought forth or I was literally shapen in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So church, we are sinners by nature, and it's our nature to want to sin, as we learned last week. 
In fact, back in Genesis, for the intent, slide 8, of a man's heart is evil from his youth. So then sin. Sin is any failure to do what God requires of us or any transgression, remember that word, crossing over the line, of what he forbids us to do so. So sin is, in fact, lawlessness. Good slide 9 and 10. John, the apostle, writes this in 1 John 3. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And the NLT says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to his law, or the law of God. Now, slide 11. The Bible uses some 17 different words, or terms, I should say, for the word sin. 17 different words. Here are some of them that you can see up on the slide. Bent, wrung out of shape, perversion, ruin, rebellion, confusion, tossing, a breach of trust, unprofitable behavior, to wander from, fall short, miss the mark, sorrow, unjust, unfair, lawlessness, disobedience, a twisting out of the right way, a twisting into error. And I used this term years ago about, think about a bicycle rim, and you're trying to go down the road, but the rim is all bent up. You're trying to keep it going straight, but the rim just takes you where you don't want to go. Sin takes you where you don't want to go. When you look at these words, what areas of our lives are bent out of shape or have been perverted or ruined because of our own choices we made of indwelling sin? What kind of confusion is in our minds or breaching of trust? You know, what are the things in your life and my life that are causing us to wander away from the Lord? So then as we understand what sin is and what it means, for those, church, who have come to a saving faith in Christ, Paul is the one asking the question, shall we continue to sin and live out a life of disobedience against God so that his grace may increase? Slide 12. Look at the word grace now. The Greek word is katis. So if we're going to understand the text... We under, need to understand what that word grace means. And more importantly, what did Paul mean when Paul penned that word 2,000 years ago, that word charis? What did he mean? He's given us the word, the harmartino, the definition of sin. Shall we continue in that sin so this grace may increase? Well, what is grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. Grace, church, is showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it at all. It's completely unmerited, meaning it's not deserved, meaning that there's no reason to show it. What is Paul trying to get across to us? Paul wants us to clearly understand that there is absolutely nothing in any of us to deserve this free gift of salvation. It is something that we have received freely. Let's get personal for a moment. Slide 13. And you listening around the world. Are you relying on something else to save you? Or do you have some this thing in your mind that you still think that you're good, a good enough person to avoid God's wrath that maybe he'll let you in? Hear me this morning. Church, this, 
This grace, this, this free gift is given to those who do not deserve it at all. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. That's God showing us his grace every day. The real question is, why didn't he kill me in my sleep last night? In fact, all of us, based on what the Bible says, deserve the exact opposite. Hear me now. and I've shared this before, and I'm going to share it again. This charis, this grace... This is, a, this is this expression of God's love for you and I. It comes from his heart. And this grace that he shares with us comes solely to you and I from his love without anything in any of us to ever be worthy of it. He loves you and me in spite of ourselves, church. His love is unconditional. It's the highest form of love. It's what's called agape toy love. See, agape love is is the highest form of love. It's an act of your will. Your 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 commitment to somebody is never predicated on their performance or their behavior. You love them in spite of themselves, like a parent will love their child. No matter what that child does or how much the child screws up, that love isn't predicated on that child's performance. You love that child in spite of himself. And that's how God loves you. In spite of yourself. In spite of myself. So this grace comes from the one and only true God whom you and I have disobeyed, rebelled against, defied against, and sinned. It is his grace, that undeserved kindness, that reconciles and restores the relationship between us and the Father. So then how does Paul answer the question he asked? Look at slide 14 and 15. God forbid, as the King James says, or may it never be. How should you and I, who have died to sin, how should we still live in it? And the NLT says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, one of the main points of Romans 6 he's talking about here through these 23 verses is the Christian's death to sin. What is Paul trying to get across to us? How do we understand this? He, he uses this word died. The Greek word, slide 15, is apotenesco. The, uh, the idea apato, away from, or to die off. You see, what Paul's doing here for you and I is he's creating or trying to help us understand this immediate tie with the death of Jesus Christ to a believer's own death to sin. He's trying to rivet that and help us understand that together. Okay? So, he's talking about the power of sin over your life and my life has already been broken. So, when does this death occur? It occurs at conversion. When your mouth is stopped and my mouth is stopped, and you and I come to realize that there's no act by where you and I on our own can make ourselves right with God. We have no righteousness of our own, Romans 3, 10 through, or 11 through 15. It occurs the moment you come to a saving faith and place your faith and trust in Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. This means that all of our sins, as I said before, were placed on Christ, and it was Christ who paid the price by his death <clears throat> on that cross for our sin. So he died in your place and my place. 
So true believers in Jesus Christ have now been united with Christ in both his death and in his resurrection so that in a spiritual sense, his death has become your death. Every evil thing that you and I did was placed on him. And he gave up his life on that cross. He says, no one takes it from me. I give it. So everything was placed on him. He dies. Now a payment has been made. So every simple rotten thing, past, present, future, has now been paid for. Not because you and I deserve it. It's unmerited favor because of what Christ did for us. So then Paul says... If you know that, and you believe that, thank you. He says, how shall we still live in it? Or how shall we still live the way we live before we say we got saved? See, Paul, Paul here is describing someone who eventually chooses to willfully sin so that this person's way of life is characterized and lived out by sin rather than living righteously in obedience to the Lord. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are you an Adam or are you in Christ? Really get serious about this because your eternity depends on this. You know, think about it. Do you habitually sin and live the way you used to live before you came to faith in Christ? Or are you striving every day to glorify God and walk in obedience with Him? Look at slide 16. Does this resonate with us this morning? Here, here's some sobering questions. Are, slide 16, are we still living in it? Is, is our life still twisting into error by the decisions we make based on the flesh rather than on the spirit? Are we still living exactly the way we used to live before we came to a saving faith in Christ? If you are, you're not born again. Amen, you're not saved. I'm not here implying that we never sin. Every one of us sins in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, notes all the day we die. But are we still living habitually the way we used to live, acting like Jesus does not exist at all, doing what we know to be wrong? Are we still consistently practicing those same behaviors as a way of life without any regard to how it affects the Lord and others. Amen. Now think about it. I, I'm sure all of us have been at a funeral, right? I know I've been to other funerals. When a person dies, they're in that coffin, and you're standing over their body. You and I both know, because they're dead, they're not affected by the things of this world anymore. They're dead. They're insensible to, the, to sound, taste, or pleasure. You can't feed a dead person. You can't motivate a dead person to do anything. A person who is dead is no longer influenced by the hum of business or ambition. So then to be dead to sin has the idea that sin has losing its influence over you. As you fall more in love with Christ, the things you used to do start to fade away and they don't interest you anymore. In fact, they make you sick to your stomach. It, it, it's losing its influence over you. You, you. you come to that place where you're like, no, I don't want to feed and nourish that old way of life anymore. I'm not going to suck down the booze. I'm not going to shoot up, snort crack, get high, sleep with people I'm not married with anymore. Because that old way of life 
that is not characterized by my relationship with the one and only true and living God. Amen? Amen. What did Paul say to some in Colossians? Slide 17. Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, says this. This is 17 and 18. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Deprive them of power. Shut off the iPad. Shut off the television. Shut off all of those things that are influencing you to walk farther and farther away from the Lord. Deprive them of power. Immorality, which is sexual voice. Impurity, indecent, vulgar behavior, passion. Inordinate sexual desire. That's where we get that word pornos from, or pornography. Evil desires that are lurking inside you that want you to sin. Greed, which amounts to idolatry, or the deifying of yourself and other created things instead of God. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to that old way of life that you used to practice. That's what he's saying to the church of Colossae here. And the NLT says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do, and I like that, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Here's where it hurts people. People, they go to these machines in Walmart, and they have all these little beautiful cards with pictures on them. Oh, if I just give them $20 or $5 and $10, and then they're scraping it off. God, you're not enough. I, I, I need that right there to make me whole and complete. Or they're buying lottery tickets like that's the way out. How about Galatians slide 19, 524? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, that godless human nature with its passions and desires. NLT, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I like that. Look at slide, or look at uh, Romans 6 3, slide 21 and 22. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He's asking a question for all of us there. Or the NLT, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So, okay, let's get clear about this. The word baptizo, baptize, what does the word mean? To plunge, submerge, immerse, submerge under. That's why we do believers' baptism by plunging you under. When you're standing in the water, that's a picture of him on the cross. When we put you down in the water, that's a picture of you dying to your old way of life and your, your sins have been buried with Christ. When we pull you up out of the water, that's you coming up out to a new way of life. So that is why we do believers baptism that way because it's a perfect picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the word baptized means to submerge, to plunge under. So Paul is appealing to their knowledge of this identification involved in baptism. You see, church, baptism shows this visible difference between those who belong to Christ and those who belong to the world. That's why we read the testimonies before we do the baptism. Here's who I was before I got saved. Here's when I come to, came to faith in Christ. Here's what's different about my life now that Jesus is in it. 
We've also been commanded to do this. Well, where does it say that? Glad you asked. Matthew 28, 9, slide 23 and 24. Go therefore, or when you're going, actually in the Greek it's more like when you're going, you are to make disciples of all nations, all ethnoses, all ethnic groups. That's where we get the word ethnic from. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. doesn't stop there. Didaskaleo, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Think about that word disciple for a minute. We don't really use that word that much, that word disciple. shouldn't be overlooked here. The Greek word is matheteo. This word disciple has the idea of this. It means that a person becomes attached to one's teacher or rabbi. He, he becomes that, that rabbi's follower in doctrine and life. He learns everything he can learn about that rabbi. So that it can be said, blessed is man who's covered in the dust of his rabbi. So then, to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, church, is to be baptized into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a sacred ordinance which was ordained by Christ. So then, being baptized into Christ, it, it signifies our union with him. And also, listen, also the participation and all of the privileges this union with him brings into your life. This means union with all that Jesus is and in all phases of his work as our mediator. Listen, when you come to faith in Christ and you do this, you're taking his name upon yourself. Now I want you to think about that. Somebody taking your name upon themselves. Wouldn't you be concerned about how they're using your name? This here is, is the opposite identity theft. Unless you claim to be saved and you're not, then it's identity theft. Amen? Ooh, that, they got quiet there, Dr. Carter. Think about it. Slide 25 and 26, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk, that's the Greek word parapateo, which means regulate your life and conduct, in union and conformity with him. His way of life has now become your way of life. So ask yourself, is my way of life the way it was before I got saved? Or am I walking in a new way of life that brings glory to him? When I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, do I say, Lord, use me the way you want me to be used today. Amen. Show me what you want me to do to glorify you today. And in slide 26, Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up to a new life with him, coming through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I want you to notice something. When you're baptized, you're identifying yourself with Christ. This, you're signifying your union with him as well as your union with his death. This means his death was your death. He died in your place. I want you to notice, notice the consequences of this identification. Look at verse 4, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, 
we have been, and again, he's writing to a church in Rome, so this is in what we call the hour's tense. Something's already taken place. We have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory or the power of the Father, now look at this, I love this part, so we too might walk in newness of life. I love that. What does that word buried mean? Greek word is suntapto, slide 28. It's a very interesting word, suntapto. It means to enter into company with or to bury with. Suntapto, to enter into company with or buried with. So therefore we have entered into company with where we've been buried with him through his baptism. See, this burial church, this is a, a description of our participation in Jesus' own burial. It stresses the completeness of our identifying with Christ in his death. Remember this, the burial of Christ was proof, proof of his death. Something else I want you to consider. The burial confirms the reality of his death. So then, we are to die also to our former way of living. What does this mean? This confirms the reality of our death to sin. Am I living differently now than I used to live before I got saved? We are to put to death our old way of living because of who we are now identified with. You're now in Christ. You're no longer in Adam. If you're born again and you're saved. And remember this. This is important. Wherever you go, if you're a Christian, and you tell people you're a Christian and they're watching you, remember this. This is so important. You've taken his name upon you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You're taking his name upon you. He says, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So here we have this union with Jesus in his resurrection. And church, listen, this is also a description of our participation of being resurrected with him as well. Here, here's the funny part about it. When you drop dead, it's not all over. Here's where people think, yeah, I'm dead. Okay, no. You've got to understand, your body will die. But your soul is going to live for all eternity. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life, and the flesh into man, and man became a living soul. Your body will go into the ground. It will turn back into ashes and dust. But your soul has one of two destinations. You're either absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're absent from the body, and you're, you're, you're waiting for the great white throne final judgment. You're in hell. And hell is not like Hollywood puts it. Hell is not having, you know, sipping mid-tea juleps at a beach and having all kinds of gratuitous foolishness and sex and drugs with your friends. Hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're in agony in that flame. Look at Luke 16. Read it for yourself. Hell is a real place. Do not believe any false teacher or the world telling you that when you're dead, it's all done. That's just the beginning, church. So, we talk about this completeness of identifying with him. He says, so that as... Or exactly like, the Greek word there is hospital, slide 28. So, just as Christ was raised from the dead 
to the glory of Father. Listen, now look at this. <clears throat> we also have been raised with Jesus, so you and I can now presently glorify the Father, so we can now presently walk in a new way of life. That's the Greek word hospital. It means exactly like. So just like God, the Son, glorified the Father, we too can glorify, glorify the Father, and we can also walk in the newness of life. You and I have been raised up, if we are truly born again, to walk in a new way of life. And that's the word kenotes. That word kenotes means a fresh, new quality. Not 99 and 108% pure. You are kenotes. You are new way of life. A fresh, new quality of life. There is this new, fresh quality that has now been given to you. When you are immersed down in that water, you're representing your death and burial to your old sin nature. The way you and I used to live before we were saved. When you're pulled back up out of the water, it now demonstrates your resurrection to a kenotes, a fresh new way of life. A life that reveals that you belong to Christ. You're identifying with him. Here's another thing. You're not your own anymore. What do I mean? Look at slide 29. What did Paul say to this church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6? Paul says, listen, church, you've been bought with a price. You were purchased and made his own. Therefore, glorify God. Honor and bring glory to him in your body. And I've said this many times. I said it last week. I'll keep saying it again. The very exact same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is 110% the exact same power that is now given to every believer to walk in a kenotes, a fresh new way of life, a life that brings glory to the Father. I hope when I drop dead and I'm standing before him, the greatest thing that I could ever hear him say is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So your baptism, my baptism, now represents this whole conversion experience. It's a live infomercial to your friends and people that, that know that you've been baptized or have heard your testimony. And look at verse 5, Romans 6, 5, slide 30, 31. For if, there's your conditional clause, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, or in the NLT, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. This clause, if, is just written there to state what's already known. That there's this connection with Christ. That word united, slide 32. Sumfutas. Being planted together with. It's also where we get our English word symphony from. Sumfutas. If we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death. So this being planted together with Christ assures that you and I are in fact partakers of his death as well as his resurrection. In the likeness of, spoken up here, this being planted together with him has the idea of you and I being in conformity with his death, the death of Christ. And listen, that conformity to his death should have ongoing, continuing effects on your life. And so I think it's in the perfect tense. 
that happen back here and there's continuing results throughout your life. Let me say it again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will enable you and I to walk in the kenotes or this new way of life. Look at slide 33. Here's some sobering questions. If you claim to be a Christian, do the people that know you and I see his death revealed in your life and my life? Can the people that we work with, associate with, mingle with, can they tell that we are truly, truly his disciples? Do they see how we live differently than the way, if they've known us a long time? Think about people that knew you 20, 30 years. Can, can, can those people see there's something different about so-and-so? I remember they used to get high with me and get drunk with me and shoot up with me and snort coke with me and do all this gratuitous foolishness with me. But yet now they have a joy in their life. There's something different about them. They don't participate in those unfruitful deeds of darkness. They're not living the way they used to live before they got saved. Can they tell? We are his disciples. He says, in the likeness of his resurrection. So this just follows the logical form of what Paul's been teaching you and I. If you and I are joined, if we're planted together in his death, we're also to be planted with him in his resurrection. Paul, See, Paul wants us to understand that, that we, those who are truly born-again followers, listen, you and I are to live in the resurrection power of Christ. It is possible that he's also maybe referring to the future resurrection of all believers. Look at slide 34 and 35 with me. 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise what? What's it say there, church? Us up. Also with Jesus and will present us with you. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus present us to himself together with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe when you drop dead, when they hit you with the paddles, you're not coming back? Do you believe what God's telling you there in 2 Corinthians 4.14? Slide 36. 1 Corinthians 6.14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will raise us up through his power. So, church, how does this impact our lives? I'm almost done. Look at slide 37. How does this, what we're learning this morning, how is it impacting you? Are you chewing on it? What, what's going on? So, it impacts our lives two different ways. First, by his power, Christ has overcome death so that you and I can share in the righteousness. He's one for you and I by his death. Secondly, by his power, you and I are already present tense now, this very moment, this day, we are already resurrected to a new, different way of life. And his resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious future resurrection from the dead. So, if you're born again, if you've come to faith in Christ, 
you already are resurrected to a new way of life. The old you died with him. Remember what I said before? The very worst about you and I was placed on Jesus. The very best about Jesus was now credited, imputed, or placed on you and I. So when the Father sees you, he sees his Son. He sees his Son's righteousness. And Romans 6, 6, slide 38. Paul, again, just driving these points home for you and I. Paul says, knowing this, that our old, unrenewed, dead in our sins self was crucified. Literally, that old you, that old me, was nailed to a cross with Christ in order that our body, which is an instrument of sin, might be done away with, been now made inactive for evil, so that we can no longer be slaves to sin. You know, when our internet goes down, we can't get online anymore. I don't want to get online anymore with the enemy. Do you? I want to be inactive for evil. He says the old man. You know, you guys know your Greek and don't even realize it. Paleos, anthropos. Paleos is where we get our word paleontology from. Studying the things, uh, ology, the study of things that are old. It's what a paleontologist does. Paleos means something that's very old. Anthropos means man or human. He's not talking about a separate part of you and I. He's talking about the whole you and I that you and I were before we were saved. We were the old man, the unrenewed. Really, his inference is the unrenewed, the dead in your sins man. That's what you and I were in Adam. The person who lived under the tyranny of sin and death. We were dead to our sins and trespasses. Paul taught that in Ephesians 2. Look what he says. And again, he's writing in the Irish tense here. He says, you Ephesians, you Ephesians that are born again believers, you were dead, necros, dead in your trespasses and sins. You formerly walked, your habitual way of life was according to the course of this present world. Being obedient and under the control of the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Who's now working in the sons of disobedience. Let's come clean with the Lord this morning. Let's be honest. That old self that you and I had loved sin. We loved it. We didn't do it because we hated it. But he says, crucified with. That word is stasturo. That word stasturo means to impale together. So when he says crucify with, that's our English way of saying it. He, he's saying that your old self was impaled together with Christ. That, that he uses that word body. The Greek word there is soma. Describes, here it's describing the whole person. So how do we put it together? The participation of your old dead in your sin self in the crucifixion of Christ was being rendered powerless because Christ greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world amen, amen. Yes. crucified with now here's one other thing and I'm just about done I only have about 28 pages to go no, crucified with Christ he's not talking about something you and I did 
at all. Rather, he's talking about the act of Father himself in direct response to our faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. You listen, he considers you and I to have died the exact death that Jesus died. So by God the Father's act, you and I, because of what the Father has done, we've now been placed into this brand new position. We are now justified. Justification is the act where God makes us or declares us right. We are made right positionally. We're in a new position. This is not something that we could ever do on our own, church. No sinner's prayer makes that happen. This position we now have in Christ carries with it these definite consequences for the way you and I live out our daily life. You see, Paul, he knows full well that the powers of this world will continue to try to influence you and I to sin. And you and I will need to continually resist it. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power in you to walk in a new way of life. So many of us who are true followers of Christ, listen, all of us know full well the very painful struggles we went through when our evil way of life was being subdued, when our corrupt nature was being slain. And Paul wants you and I to know that our ability to interact with this world has been rescued from the dominion of sin. You no longer have to serve sin if you're truly born again. Well, where does it say that? Well, I'm glad you asked again. Slide 41. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, our Messiah, have been crucified with, there's that word, impaled together with, that's your sesteru, we've been impaled together with, our flesh has been impaled, that godless human nature with its passions and lusts and desires. It's been put to death. So you and I, facing your own and my own sin, and taking responsibility for it provides an opportunity for you and I to know more about the love of Christ. Do you truly believe that Jesus loves you? I want you to think about that. Because, see, we see everything with these natural eyes. And, oh, God doesn't hear me. I prayed that a million times. He doesn't talk to me. He doesn't hear me. And yet... God is saying this. This is what God's saying. When you're saying that, this is what God's saying. Uh, child, uh, you're not hearing me. I hear you. I hear you. I know that you're struggling. I hear all of it. But, but child of God, you're not hearing me. This is how I speak to you. Right here. This is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. When this is closed up, you're basically saying, I don't want to hear you, God, because I still want to practice the old way I used to live before I got saved. That's Galatians 5.24. When you see your sin in light of God's wonderful forgiveness through Christ, sin no longer has the power to condemn you. Listen, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you hear me. You are forgiven. What does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness means that you take what was done to you 
and you absorb the cost yourself, and the choo you choose not to make the offending party pay for what they did to hurt you. That's true biblical forgiveness. So I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Okay, true forgiveness, and this is the way it was with Christ, means that Jesus took every rotten, simple thing that I've ever done and you've done, and he absorbed the cost himself. And instead of you and I paying and burning in hell for all eternity, he paid for us. He chose not to make the offending party pay. Okay, that's true forgiveness. That's what he does. So I ask you again, do you believe that he has forgiven you of your sin? Have you truly repented? Have you metanoia? That means you say the same thing about sin that he said. Have you truly said, Lord, I screwed up. I've blown it. I've done all this. First of all, he already knows it. It's not for his benefit. It's for yours. When you come clean with God and you place your faith and trust in him, bam, that moment you've come to a saving faith in him, you're not your own anymore. Holy Spirit indwells you and you now have a power to walk in the newness of life. Here's something else that will happen. All of a sudden, you're going to start noticing you have a hunger for the Word. The book isn't closed up because you're selfish and saying, you don't hear me. You don't hear me. I talk to you. You don't hear me. That's, that's rude and selfishness because he's saying, well, how much time do you spend talking to me in prayer? How much time do you spend alone in the Word so that I can talk to you and feed you? And there's nothing on earth more precious than the Word of God. I'm sorry, nothing. Last verse and we're done. For he who has died is free, meaning he is delivered and rendered innocent from sin. Every Christian who has matured in faith knows all too well that the more he or she grows in their relationship with Christ, the more he or she becomes aware of the sin in his or her life. I can testify to that. In the previous verse, Paul said the body of sin, which described for us the simple behaviors that are intertwined with our physical weakness and the pleasures that we long for in our flesh. But the new birth brings death to that sin nature. It does not bring death to our temporal flesh. So Paul's not trying to teach us that we're no longer capable of sinning. It's not what he says here. He wants us to understand that we are no longer under the compulsion to obey the sin. Why? As he's taught, we're no longer slaves to it. Because he who has died is free from sin. So what does it mean? Paul has taught us that our old simple life that we were slaves to has died. Death severs a hold of sin on a person. You don't have to live the way you lived before you weren't saved. There's, there's, listen, there's no longer any obligation to serve Satan and to sin. What does that mean for you and I? The old you and I who were once slaves to sin no longer have to serve it. See, unsaved people who are dead in their sins, they're taken captive to sin and it reigns like a king in their mortal bodies. Let's be honest this morning as I close. All of us have learned the ways of sin. We've become masters at it. I know I have. We were faithful and skillful craftsmen at sinning. But when Jesus gets a hold of us, what happens? He regenerates us. He canotes. He makes us new. He makes us alive from being spiritually dead. 
He, he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new outlook on life. He plants new ideas in your heart and mind that are more in His. So when your prayers start out being a laundry list of give me, give me, give me, what's interesting about your prayer life when you start to fall more in love with Christ, instead of give me, give me, give me, what happens is you notice your prayer life starts to change. Instead of give me, give me, give me, Lord, you've already saved me. What do you want me to do for you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know this was a lot to swallow. I, I truly believe this. I believe we are really, truly, and you hear me this morning, we're in the last days. There's going to come a time when you're not going to wake up anymore. You hear me this morning. You listening around the world right now, you hear me. There's going to come a time when you drop dead or you get killed and you're not going to wake up. And you're going to have to stand before that great judgment seat, the beam of seat of God. And you're going to have to give an account of the deeds you did in your body, good and evil, while you were here on earth. And you hear me this morning. You don't make it to heaven by thinking you're a good person. You don't make it to heaven by trying to do good things. There's nothing wrong with doing good things, but doing good things isn't going to get you to heaven. Hear me this morning. The only way that you will step into glory is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death on that cross, the shedding of the blood, washing away your sin, having all your sin and guilt placed on the Father or on the Son, and having all of his life of perfect obedience now credited to you. If you are here this morning, you listen around the world, now is the time, if there ever was, for you to get right with God. I'm imploring you. I'm calling out to you. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time for you to get right to God. If you die today, he's going to play back this message. You're going to hear what was said. <clears throat> You're not going to have any excuses. I'm going to encourage you to surrender your life as it has been freely offered to you in the gospel. Repent. Confess your sins to the Lord. Surrender your life to him. Place your faith and trust in him. Trust and rely on Have confidence in what he's done. When he went to that cross for you. When he went to that cross for you, he had your name in his mind and his heart. And Father, I pray for everyone listening around the world and those that are here today, Lord, that, that they would come clean with you and trust in you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Meet and greet each other and line up for the meal.